Grab a seat and grab your Bibles and go with me to the Old Testament book of prophecy known as the book of Isaiah. We'll be there here in just a moment. Again, welcome to Clear Creek. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're joining us today on a very special day because this is the one time of year that although our world is less and less maybe interested in things of Christ, at least here in America, it's the one day a year that no matter where you go, no matter how you try to sort of shut it out, you are bombarded with the reality that there is a God who loves you who died for you, who rose for you, and will come back for us one day. And so today we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a guest and you've got little ones, let me just tell you real quick. Do not stress if your child makes a noise, all right? All kids make noises. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? Yeah, okay, some of you were kids once, right? So listen, here's what I want you to know. If your kid makes noise, we are so glad that you're here. Now, like, if they're squailing for, like, five or ten minutes, just put a little hand over the mouth. That's fine. But otherwise, only the mouth, not the mouth and the nose, just the mouth, okay? I just want to be clear on that. But here's why I'm telling you this. Growing things make noise. And so it thrills us when we hear the sound of children crying because it means that in the Lord's church there are those who are growing. Okay? So, just chill. We love you. We're so glad you're here. And after service, uh, we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Take a moment as you're on your way out to get lunch or whatever else. Go stop at the lobby. We'd love to say hi to you at the next step table. And if we can help you take a next step in meeting Jesus or finding a church family, or maybe for some of you, you're just going, man, I, I need encouragement. I need help in some way. You come see us. We'll try to help you in any way that we can. Okay? All right. We're in the fifth and final Sunday on this series that we've entitled, And He Shall Be Called. It's part of our Advent series. Now, we talk about Advent here at Clear Creek. That may be a little new to you. The word Advent is not a mystical word. It simply comes from a Latin word, which is Adventus, which simply means the coming or arrival of a noteworthy person. And we believe that there was none as noteworthy as Jesus Christ. And there is none who has changed history the way Jesus Christ has, is, and will continue to change human events because he continues to come to us. And so we've been going through this series and we've been looking at certain names of Jesus. We've been borrowing this language and he shall be called from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who 700 years before a little eight pound, seven ounce baby Jesus was born, he wrote these words in Isaiah chapter nine. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan River. He goes on. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. And here are some of the titles we've looked at. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And you go, man, those are such great titles. And each week we've lit a candle symbolically representing the four things Christ comes and gives to each one of us. But here's the great news. We have one more title today. And this is a title that I think many of us need to hear. In fact, it's the title I need to hear probably more than any of the other titles. And it's found in the seventh chapter of Isaiah when the prophet Isaiah speaks to this king. His name is Ahaz. And he comes to this moment that is very difficult for Ahaz, and he promises something that I think we need to hear as well. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go ahead, flip with me back just a couple pages to Isaiah chapter 7. Maybe your Bible doesn't flip like this. Maybe it flips more like this. That's fine. I don't care. Just grab your Bible. Isaiah chapter 7. While you're turning there, 
I want you to consider something, though, that is just kind of neat about Christmas. There's a lot of neat things about Christmas, but here's one thing that I love. Christmas is that time of year where we tend to assume and think everything's going to work out in some way. And we may say, yeah, it's wishful thinking, but we all kind of hope and assume things are going to work out. In fact, we sing about it, don't we? We talk about it. We think about it. In fact, we are entertained by this notion that everything will work out. I mean, come on, let's be honest with each other here. We know that at Christmas, Rudolph is going to get to play in the reindeer games. It's just going to happen. That's a fact. We know that Buddy will be reconciled with his father and Christmas will be saved. We know that Ralphie will not be subjugated to the bunny outfit. How many of you know who Ralphie is? Any of us in here? Great. You love Jesus. I love that. He won't be subjugated to the bunny outfit, but instead he's going to get that Red Ryder BB gun and almost shoot his eye out. We all know how the story goes. We know that Clark will overcome his relative problems. He'll get his lights to work and receive the Christmas bonus and be able to put in that swimming pool. We know that Kevin will be reunited with his parents. We know that Clarence will get his wings. And we know that John McCain will shoot Hans Gruber out of the window. He will fall to his death to the glory of God. By the way, it is a Christmas movie, just FYI. What we know is that the stories that we watch end well. But the question I think that's on my heart, maybe yours as well, how will my story end? How will your story end? Because I don't know about you, but it's one of those things when I look around, I don't see the happy ending coming in the next 35 minutes. Do you? And so we're presented with the reality of life, and it doesn't look like the movies at Christmas. And so for the hope we need, for the joy we need, for the love we need, for the peace we need, we're given one final name. In chapter 7 of Isaiah, when the prophet comes before King Ahaz, who is in dire straits, and he says these words, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, Ahaz, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you now try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, you will, and he will be called Emmanuel. Now we have to zoom fast forward 700 years to have the fulfillment of this prophecy. It comes in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 18. says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, came about. Verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from there. Say that word with me. Sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And then verse 25 tells us, And Joseph gave this little baby the name Jesus. Emmanuel, the fifth title given in Isaiah's prophecy of who he will be. All I want to do this morning is reflect on what does this mean that there is one who is the God with us.
God with us. Well, how would that change all of your tomorrows if you knew for a fact that God was with you? By the way, the story of Scripture can be summarized in these three words, God with us. That's the story from Genesis to Revelation. Go all the way back. If you thumb to the very beginning of this story, all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and you come to this moment where God steps onto the scenes and he creates everything. But it's interesting. He creates everything by his words. He speaks and things begin to appear. Plants, animals, platypuses or platypi, whatever you call those things. Stars, galaxies, all the things by his spoken word. But then he looks around and he sees that there is nothing in creation that is like him. So he decides to make little image bearers, little things that represent him. But he doesn't create humanity the way he creates everything else. Instead of just speaking it, we're told that God, with his hands, forms the dust, pulls it together and forms a man. By the way, that word dust in Hebrew is Adama, which is where we get the word Adam. He's a little dust bunny. That's all he is. He puts them together. He creates this husk of a man, but he's not alive yet. The Bible says there's something still missing. And so we're told then that God comes close to the man, God with us, face to face, mouth to mouth, and he breathes into the the mouth of the man. And by the way, that word, breath, can also be translated wind, breath, or spirit. In other words, it is God's spirit that enters into the man creating life. And so this little dusty thing becomes an image bearer of God, and they have fellowship, meaning God with us at the very beginning. And here's the great news. It was perfect. Here's the bad news. It lasted for like one page in my Bible. How many of you are like, man, they got longer in there than I would have. But they get one page in and they're tempted and they say, I don't want life with God. I want life by myself. Life on my own terms. And they get life on their own terms. And so the God with us story shatters. And the declaration that we can be our own gods break everything And it's not just Adam or Eve. Friend, I have bad news for you. You and I, we are wretched sinners. Merry Christmas. We all have sinned. We all have broken the heart of God. And you're saying, I haven't broken the heart of God. Okay, let's just do it this way. Have you ever lied to anyone? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever mistreated someone? And by the way, it's not even just people out there. Have you ever lied to yourself? See, I can't even uphold my own standard, let alone God's. I've told myself promises that I've never kept. By the way, next week we will have this thing called New Year's. And do you know what people often do on New Year's? They do these things called resolutions. That's right. Why? Because I promised myself I would do one thing this last year. And guess what? I didn't do it. So I'm going to try to do it again this year. In other words, I can't even keep my own promise to myself. Everything shatters. And they tell the God of life to go away. And when God of life leaves, so does life. And so things begin to break. Their bodies begin to break. Relationships begin to break. Everything begins to break. And we hear over and over and over again the spiraling down of creation. But God is not done. He keeps coming into the story saying, I'm with you and I will reconcile you. I will rescue you and bring you back to me. And this continues to be the heartbeat of Scripture. God wanting to be with a bunch of dust bunnies. God with us until we get to this point in the prophet's life. 
When Ahaz is facing down an enemy that he cannot defeat, there are two nations directly north of him, the northern nation of Israel, because at this point, the unified nation of Israel is divided, and he's in the south in Judah, and Israel in the north doesn't like Judah. And then you have this other country called Syria that's joined forces with Israel to come against Judah. And Judah's scared, so what do they do? They say, we'll go to this even bigger nation called Assyria, and we'll ask them for their help. Things are not looking good And so God sends the prophet Isaiah and he says to him, I want to give you a sign that God is with you. You're not on your own. Now, quick question, by the way. If God showed up to you today and said, hey, would you like a sign? I'll give you any sign in the world. What kind of sign would you ask God to give you? Right? Like what kind of sign? Some of us in here were like, man, if I just knew that I wasn't alone, that God was with me, if I just really knew it, a sign, validation, I would be braver um, I, if I knew God was with me, I would, I would fight harder for my marriage. If I knew God was with me, I wouldn't abandon my kid. I would keep at it. If I knew God was with me, that bad report from my doctor would not wreck my life completely. What, what would you ask for? I, I've been thinking about it all week. Like Elijah, what does he ask for? Elijah asks for fire to come down, and it does, and it consumes all the stuff that's on top of this mountain. Man, that is awesome. How many of us, though, would be satisfied if God just like lit a candle for us? It's like, yeah. If God said, what do you want? Would you say, I want all the money in the world? By the way, someone's going, absolutely. Have you seen my credit card bill after I bought all my Christmas stuff? But really, would that fix all the problems that you're facing? Right? Some of us were going, yeah, money, that could help some things, but not all things. The Tennessee Lotto, I just checked a couple days ago. The Tennessee Lotto, at last count, was up to $620 million. How many of you going, man, God, just give me a sign. Give me, just, just give me those numbers. <laughs> That's the sign I need, some little zeros and the ones. But what do we know about it? Like, we always wonder when someone wins the lotto, we're always like, what are they going to do with the money? Are they going to quit work? Are they going to buy a new house? Are they going to buy their cousin a new house? Will they buy me a new house? After all, with that much money, there's a little bit to pass around. But we've been following the lotto long enough to know that most people crumple under the weight of that much money that fast. That they just can't handle that. Now, I know you and I were kind of going, dear Lord, just give me one shot at trying to handle that amount of money. I think I could do it. What would you ask for? It's an incredible thing that God comes and he says, what will you ask for? Ahaz, what sign do you want from God? Now, this is an incredible question for two reasons. Reason number one is incredible that God asked Ahaz because Ahab or Ahaz was a lousy, lousy man. Horrible king, horrible dad. Here's what I mean. He was the king of a nation that was supposed to be devoted to God, and yet he often worshipped false pagan gods. He offered his son as a sacrifice to one of the pagan gods. You can go read about in 2 Kings 16, it says that he allowed his son to be passed through the fire. That means he was sacrificing him. That's what's going on there. He was a horrible dad. Not only will he not get king of the year award, but he won't even get dad of the year award. He also set up high places where worship of false gods would take place. He then even took the holy items that were in the Jewish temple devoted to Yahweh, to God. He took them out and used them to celebrate and worship pagan gods. He was a lousy King, which is really good news to you and me. If God would show up to someone as lousy as Ahaz, maybe he will even show up in our lives. Maybe the God with us is not just for the varsity Christians. Maybe he's for the rest of us as well. 
The second thing that's so incredible about this offer to give a sign, Ahaz doesn't take it up. Did you notice that in the text? Look at what it says here. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. And then verse 12, notice this. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, we read that and we say, man, he's a humble dude. I don't need a sign, God, just whatever you want to give me. Friends, this is not humility. This is cowardice. This isn't him going, oh, I just, whatever you give me, God. No, no, this is cowardice. Why? Because if Ahaz says, God, give me a sign, God gives him that sign, then Ahaz has to make a choice on how he's going to live from that day forward. He can't play the game of one foot in, one foot out. Lip service on Sunday, my way on Monday. And so he says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. God, just whatever you want to give me. That's not the spirit of God. That's just the air. Okay, hang on with there. Some of you are new. You're going, what's going on here? There we go. So he doesn't ask for a sign. What does he do instead? Whatever you give me, that's just fine. And so Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It's like, all right, you don't want to give me one? I'll give you one. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. A baby? I've got an army outside my front door. I don't need a baby. I need tanks. I need airplanes. I need reconnaissance. I need SEAL team members. I need more strength. I don't need a baby. And I love how Isaiah's like, you're missing the message. Did you hear the name of the baby? Emmanuel, God with us. The story of Scripture is continuing on, and the God who breathed life into the first man wants to breathe life into this situation. You think the problem you face is what's outside your front door. The problem every human faces is inside the human heart. And the God who first breathed life into the first dead corpse and brought life to it is the same God who is here with us today. And he is the God with us God who says, I'm not done with you yet. Because you think what you need is more airplanes, you need more reconnaissance, you need more tanks. But if God is for us, Romans 8 says, then who can be against us? We just don't understand the power of the Emmanuel, of God with us. If God is for us, who can be against us? By the way, you know how I learned this to be true? The kickball field outside of my church growing up back in elementary school. Let me explain. After church, the kids would run outside, we'd go to the field, and we'd play game. We've talked about this before. By the way, when you're teaming up, when you're figuring out who's going to be who, how do you decide who gets to be the captain? You pick the two best players, this person and this person. And then the goal is just to be picked by the best person. Well, at our church, the very best player was a girl named Katie Hodge. Say what you will, but she was faster than us. She was stronger than us. She was meaner than us. I mean, she just, she's brutal. She was better at baseball, basketball, football. I mean, I think she was better at thumb wrestling as well. I mean, everything, she was better at it than we were. And so the goal of it was just to be on Katie's team. It didn't matter how good you were, how bad you were. It didn't matter if you knew the game or not. If she picked you, you won. And it didn't matter who's on the other team. She carried the teams. She was the all-star. And the promise of God with us 
is that God, if he picks you, it doesn't matter who's on the other team. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you, church. This is the promise of God with us. And it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. If God is for you, if he is the captain of your life, then the ending of the story is you win. By the way, you know, some of you, you love watching certain games because your team, you love that time of year where your team plays against the most cupcake team in the league and you know they're just going to rack up point after point after point and it's just a peaceful time because you're sitting there going, yep, once again. That is the posture of the follower of Jesus because we know how the story ends. For if God is for us, who can be against us? Emmanuel, God with us. But here's my problem. It's that word us. See, I've been in church long enough. I've never heard anyone say that they don't agree with the statement God is with us. They think, yeah, God is with us. But many Christians and many people who are kicking the tires of faith and many people who aren't sure about God, maybe they're just kind of exploring. Many of us will say God is with us, but I'm not sure that God is with me. It's easy to say God loves the church or God loves that group, but I'm not sure that God loves me. In fact, in the moments that we are most honest, I've been in ministry about 20 years and I've seen this over and over and over and over and over and over again. The moments that we are most honest with ourselves, we will admit, knowing who we are, that we aren't sure that God is with me because I don't think God likes me or I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be chosen or rescued. And here's how I know this is true for every one of us. There are things, there are things that you and I have done in our lives that we've told no one about because we're scared, aren't we? If we tell someone what we've done, that'll change the relationship. If we tell someone what we've done or where we did or with whom we did it, that will blow up the friendship. If we tell that spouse what happened, that'll ruin it all. And so we hide certain things and we hold it in. And because of that, we wonder if anyone would really love the real us. And so we know God loves and God is with us, but we're not sure God loves or is with me because I know me pretty well. The good news of the gospel is not that you are so good and Christ chose you, but that you and I are not good and Christ chose us. God with us, God with you, God with me. And so we come to this verse that we've skipped over every week because I knew we were coming to it today. Are you ready? Here it is. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. We read it earlier. I want you to see why we know that God chooses even the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. Says this, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Time out. Are you in distress? In the past, he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. By the way, if you look on a map, those are places, regions in the northern part of Israel in what in the first century would have been called Galilee. But in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan River. And then in verse 2 it says these beautiful, beautiful words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. When it says that Emmanuel will go to Galilee, there was a geographical reason. The northern part of Israel, which includes Galilee, 
was where foreign invaders always came first and worst. Galilee had been beaten down the most. They had the deepest history of invasion and defeat and loss and pain. And Jesus begins his kingdom invasion in Galilee with them. What an insight into the heart of God. Who is first on God's heart and God's mind, church? Who is he most attentive to? To whom does God move first? God moves fastest towards the one who are most anxious, the most damaged, the grief-stricken, and the self-injured. Maybe you've been treated that way. Maybe you've been treated as expendable, cast off, left for dead. But that is not who God sees you as. You are seen as a beloved child. And, And parents, let's just talk for a moment. If you have more than one kid, you know what I'm talking about when I say... When you come into the room and one kid's crying and another one isn't, which kid do you run to first? It's the one who's crying, isn't it? I remember Stephen, our older son, um, he couldn't have been more than maybe two years old, just this little guy. We were hold- I was holding him in the kitchen. This is in Nashville. and We're having a good time. I was holding him. We're talking. I was with my wife. And there's that moment, parents. You know that moment you have as like a sixth sense. You know something about to happen. I look at my son and I'm kind of playing. Hey, buddy, how you doing? How you doing? And he's happy. And then all of a sudden his face goes. And there's that moment you go, uh-oh. And, and his cheeks bulged. And his mouth opened. And all I can say is the devil himself came out. <laughs> and I hold him as just this fire hydrant. And I'm like, ah. I just want to tell you, I didn't drop him, by the way, so dad points. Here's what I want to tell you, though. In your most disgusting moment, when you're vomiting all over, who is it who holds you there? And he doesn't drop you. Scripture says that Jesus actually took on your sin. It covers him, and he carried it with him, wearing your sin to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he died Your sin stayed there. He goes into the tomb. Your sin stayed there. And when he comes out, the sin stayed there. And victory came with Jesus. He takes your sin onto himself. And he carries you for the rest of your life. He comes to the weakest and the most needy among us. Does God love the rich and the elite? Absolutely. And he'll go to them if they humble themselves to him. But friends, the heart of God bends towards those who are in deepest need, who are most broken. If that's you this morning, the good news of Emmanuel is that God has chosen you. And it doesn't matter what's on the other side of the gate. Because when God is for us, who can be against us? And so we come to this moment where we remember what Christ did. And if you just wonder, does God love me? That declaration was made and it was sealed on the cross that we see behind us. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus has a special place in his heart for the injured, the forsaken, the cast off. And if that's you this morning, you could not be dearer to him. Jesus came to you. But he doesn't just come to you. He wants to come through us. Every week we have lit different candles. And today we light the fifth candle. This one is called the Christ candle. Unlike the others, this one is white. 
It symbolizes the purity of Christ, the one who took our sin on himself and then gives us his righteousness before God so that what was broken in the beginning and that every one of us has broken can be made new and made whole, reunited with God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so he then comes and he says, I want to give to you what I have. And so we're going to light candles this morning. I'm going to invite my candle lighters. A few men and folks will come on up to the platform. And as they're coming to the platform, we're going to begin to listen to just this beautiful song, Silent Night. In a moment, I'd invite you to join in. But here's the beauty of this promise, God with us, is that no matter where you may find yourself, God is with you today. And he wants to come to you and then go through you.
that phrase, Lord at thy birth. Consider the reality that he is Lord at birth because he is the eternal one. Christ simply came in and was birthed into the creation story, but he is above it all. Colossians 1 says that he holds everything together. If you need someone to hold your life, I can recommend no one greater than the hands of God. In this moment, would you, just for a moment, hold your candles up. Jesus, light of the world, in us, through us, and to us. I invite you to stand. Father, we thank you for this moment and this morning. For Jesus, the Emmanuel, God with us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you sing this final verse with us one last time? God bless you. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas.